This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. So good to have you with us today. My name is Kevin. I'm the lead pastor here at Vortex. And as we kind of get going today, we're in the last week of a series that we started a few weeks ago on conflict. It's called Fight For It. And today I'm going to get real practical about how to navigate conflict. But today, uh, I just want to give you a roadmap so you know where we're going for the next few weeks. Next week, we start a new series called Crowns. All right, Crowns, I'm super excited for you and for us to spend a few weeks talking about this because we don't talk about the rewards that come from following Jesus enough. I really don't think we do. But the Bible talks about it a whole lot. And those rewards aren't just the kind of rewards that we might have like a carrot dangled in front of us just today. It's rewards that last for eternity. It's spoken of uh, so many times throughout Scripture. Let me just give you a few references that kind of speak to the fact that God has rewards for us. Hebrews 11 6 says that anyone who wants to come to him, to come to God, must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. God reward our sincerity in seeking him. God says, listen, there's a reward. There's a reward. Colossians 3, 23, 24, or in 24 says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. Listen, when we take on the posture, I understand that all of my life is a calling from God and everywhere I go, I've been embracing a calling. And then as I begin to see that my work is for the Lord, there is a reward. There is a reward. Galatians 6, 9, a verse that we've spent uh, some time focusing on here is that let us not get tired of doing what is good for at just the right time we will reap a harvest of blessing if we do not give up. There's a reward. There's a reward. And I think that sometimes when we don't know what we're fighting for, we don't end up with it. And there's a reward to all the work, all the sacrifice, all the things that you've given to, to say, God, I want you. I want your life. I want to follow you. There's a reward. And I want you to see that over the next uh, few weeks as we kind of dive into that. Now, we, we've been having a little bit of fun with this series because, you know, there's some kind of like conflict that we don't like. I mean, we don't like getting in a fight with our friends and all that kind of stuff. But there's some conflict that's a little fun because we, we can have some games and play some and have some contests with some friends. And so a few months ago, I did something. I, you ever just ask somebody to do something totally stupid? Okay, I just did that. I just asked some some of my friends to do something really really stupid, and they hated me for about the next three days after this. Do you know, if you don't know, a Pocky chip is the hottest tortilla chip on the planet. It is it is Guinness World Book of Records' hottest tortilla chip that you can have. It is made with Carolina Reaper peppers. And, and, and so I thought it would be really fun to do a contest with three of our friends that are on staff and see who could last the longest without having uh, some beverage after they had one of those. So this is what happened. Look at this. <laughs> I know, Chris. Chris, 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 Chris,
Did I tell you guys I don't like hot stuff? You don't. Oh. Alright. Ready? Three, two, one. God bless. Oh my god. <laughs> Holy crap. <coughs> You want to describe what you're feeling right now? John, you want to describe how you're feeling right now? You should ask the firefighter what it feels like inside of a burning house. Because <laughs> that's, right. that's what my tongue feels like right now. I'm still dripping. <laughs> yeah. I actually think I can go without drinking anything. I'm going to be good. I don't know if I can. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, mine's gone now. Sweet. Now I just gotta get my sinuses to calm down. Dude, I'm draining. <laughs> I'm draining. Ugh. Woo. I'm good. I don't know if I can do it. <laughs> you seem pretty calm. Or I'm, I'm actually really good now. You know, I mean, sometimes conflict catches you off guard. And uh, you don't know where it's coming from. And, Maybe, maybe you're the person in here that right now you're living through a conflict, maybe a fight in your marriage or with a friend or with family. And I believe that the way that we learn to navigate conflict has a direct correlation to the quality of relationships that we live in. All of our relationships are going to experience conflict. So it's a part, really, of us learning to navigate conflict that helps us to have healthy relationships. And I think that sometimes the way that we deal with conflict, it really doesn't even give us a fighting chance. I just want to make a, before we get started today, uh, with, and I want to go through and give you some rules on how to fight, I just want to make some observations about the way that we do conflict that's not really good. And the, the first observation that I would make is that our attitude about conflict is often sabotaging our relationships. Our attitude about conflict is often sabotaging our relationships. And I, mean, I, I want to point out three different ones, and if you've been a part of, of this series so far, some of this will be a little bit of a review, but I just want you to kind of see how we deal with conflict, and sometimes the way that we deal with it doesn't set up a healthy relationship. And the first one is that, this is the first attitude, that we view conflict as a sign of a weak relationship. We, we think, oh, we're fighting, but my friends never do. We're, 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 why are we always 
at each other's throat. But, but I see all these people that are around me, they, they never appear to be fighting, especially in a world where social media allows us to kind of compare our backstage to everybody's highlight reel. It's a dangerous proposition that, that a, a relationship wouldn't have conflict. It's two independent souls colliding to form one life together. There's going to be conflict. And I just want you to hear that, that that's a, a sign of health. And we need to learn how to deal with it well. But a healthy relationship experiences conflict. And sometimes when we think that it, it it's a sign of health, that we don't have conflict, we'll avoid conflict. We'll try to navigate it in an unhealthy way. So that's one way that we sabotage. Attitude number two is that we escalate conflict to gain control. There are some of us that just don't like conflict, but some of us kind of like it. Some of us, you know, we're like, we're like, you know, some people are kind of amateurs at this conflict stuff, but I got, I got game when it comes to conflict. And one of the most common ways that we do conflict wrong if we are comfortable in conflict is that we elevate it. We elevate the tension. We elevate the conflict in an attempt often to gain control. We go from zero to 100 over something that doesn't matter that much. And the reason we do it is to manipulate the circumstance. Because I know if I go that big and that hard on this, they're going to back down. We elevate conflict. Then sometimes... We avoid conflict, at least we try to, in an effort to keep peace. We avoid it. You know, I'm not, I don't really want to have that fight today. You know, I'm tired of it, tired of fighting. I just really wish we could just have some peace. And we avoid conflict. I think that part of, when you look at number one, the, 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 the thought that maybe conflict would give us a sign that we have a weak relationship, sometimes we, we view peace as the absence of conflict, and I don't think that's accurate. I think that peace really is the presence of Jesus. So even in the, that's why Jesus said in this world, you have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And before that, he says, I've told you all these things so that you may have peace. It's the presence of God, even in the middle of struggle, that allows us to have peace, not the absence of conflict. But see, sometimes we, we think, I'm just going to try to avoid it. And, you know, counselors will tell you that you can't avoid real conflict. You can only delay it. You can't avoid it. Your attempts to avoid it are just really postponing that fight for a few days. And normally what's going to happen, I don't know if anybody else in here experiences this this way, over those few days, your tension and frustration tends to elevate, tends to get a little bit more intense. And so what was a four all of a sudden becomes a seven fight in three days because you held it in. You can't avoid Conflict, you might delay it. I think that what we start to see when we understand that this is really, that, that so many of our perceptions of conflict have derailed us and, and maybe even sabotaged our relationships, we, we actually start to see that conflict isn't necessarily a horrible thing. It might actually be a good thing. One of my, my favorite clinical psychologists put it this way, 
that conflict is the price that we pay for intimacy. Conflict is the price that we pay for intimacy. There's no way to have intimacy without conflict. And some of our attitudes about conflict and the way that we handle it just become so negative and so divisive that by the time we get to the end of the conflict, to the end of the fight, there's so much more that we were actually fighting for that we don't have, but now we've wrecked other things that we should have at that moment. See, I want you to see that this next thing is that this is a big idea when it comes to how we kind of derail ourselves in conflict. But it's a big one. I think if we can embrace this, it would change, change so much. And this is kind of how we do conflict wrong. Number two, we approach conflict as if it's a contest. We approach conflict as if it's a contest. I want to win. I'm right. You're wrong. And at the end of this, one of us is going to be a winner and one of us is going to be a loser. And I want to be the winner. I mean, when, when, you, when you break it down to that, do you not see how broken and busted that is? I just want to be the winner. I want to be right. I want my point to be made. As if it's a contest. See, I, I think that through this series, God, God's kind of been opening my eyes to a principle that what if we stopped making it about us? What if we stopped making it about our perspective and about what we want? And we just instead started saying, you know what, Jesus, I want you to win. I want you to win in my marriage. I want you to win in my friendships. I want you to win in my relationships because if Jesus wins, we all win. If Jesus wins, if Jesus wins in your marriage, you might be wrong, you both might be wrong, but if Jesus wins, you both win. I mean, we've got to humble ourselves a little bit in that. We've got to kind of push off our ego, take our intense desire to be right and shove it to the side, but, but it's important to be able to say, you know what, hey, I'm gonna, I, what, I, want the, I want the best idea to win. I want Jesus to win here. And if we care about things, we're, we're probably going to experience conflict. But in the end, we want Jesus to win. Because if Jesus wins, we all win. This next one, this is a big idea. It's a really big idea on how we manage conflict in relationships, especially if you're married. But I want you to see this because this is one way that, that we get it wrong. But I want you to see that most of the conflicts we face are not fights to be won. They are tensions to be managed. They're not fights to be won. They're tensions to be managed. Let me explain that, okay? There's a difference between a problem and a tension. And a lot of times we think this, this is a fight. I want to win. I want to win. I want to win. I want to win. And it's not really a fight to be won. It's a tension that must be managed. See, there's a difference between a problem that has a solution and a tension that must be managed. Let me give you an example of the two. All right, a problem is I went out last week and spent way too much money out of our budget on going out to eat. 
Okay, so we blew our budget in one week by going out to eat every night. There's a solution to that. That's a problem, solution, eat at home. Okay, there's a problem, there's a solution. Attention does not have a solution. And we all live in these. We all live in tensions. So for example, attention is work and home life balance. There is no equation that tells you how to balance work and home. I mean, for example, I would love to be at everything with my kids, to always be there for my family every moment, every day that they're needed. But I can get so imbalanced on home that I start to stop devoting myself to the thing over here that, number one, I'm called to do, but number two, I'm actually supporting and providing for my family by doing this. But we all know the opposite end of that is that I can be so devoted to work that I'm neglecting my family and neglecting the relationships that are there as well. There's a tension between those. And as we go through seasons, the way we navigate that tension tends to shift and change. As I was listening to some um, Christian clinical psychologists talk about relationships in preparation for this marriage, just trying to get some good things to throw at you so we could understand how do we navigate relationships and conflict in a healthy way. I noticed some statistics, and I want you to see this. 30% of relational conflict can be resolved. 30% of relational conflict can be resolved. It's a problem that has a solution. It's a pro- there, there's a problem. Okay, we're dealing with this. We're, fi- we're fighting about the budget. We can, make, we can make a plan and come to a resolution. It's 30%. 70% of relational conflict is ongoing or perpetual. Now, I don't know about you, but I felt pretty sad when I read that. I was like, really? You tell me we're going to be fighting about the same thing in 10 years. That don't even sound fair. That don't sound good. But some of y'all have been married for 50 years, and y'all are like, yep, you're going to be fighting about the same thing in 10 years. You'll be fighting about it in 20 years. You know why? Because some of the conflict that we navigate has absolutely nothing to do with the problem. It has to do with attention. It's a tension that must be managed. It's not a problem to solve. So, for example, there are personality issues, okay? Personality differences and, and, and tensions that come in a relationship because the person that you're married to or your friend, they're not just like you, okay? Newsflash. They don't view everything the way you do. Their personalities are bent in different ways. We experience this with my wife and I, Amanda, My wife has no concept of time, literally none. If she's talking to you and and it's been like, she's just in like an intense conversation, she doesn't know if it's been 10 minutes or an hour. She has no idea. She has no idea. Just time is so irrelevant to her. For me, I could tell you we've been talking for 12 minutes and 30 seconds. I'm very aware. And so we'll be at home and I'll be like, Amanda, like you could you, could you get the clothes out of the dryer? And she says, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a little busy. I'm trying to do this right now. Well, could you do it in the next hour? Sure, I'll do it in the next hour. It's like two hours later. Amanda, you didn't do this. She has no idea. She has no idea. It's just like, wow. 
wow, Amanda, how do you not know? This is not going to get any better. It's not. She's not going to learn that. That's a personality thing. Right, there's personality tensions. We experienced this when, in, in, in one of our first years of, of marriage. We went on a vacation. We went to a resort. And it was super nice, right? And, and, and both Amanda and I on the EI indicator on the Myers-Briggs, the extrovert, introvert, we're kind of in the middle. And, but we navigate that middle so differently. We, we view connection differently. If you put me in a room like this and you make me stay here for a few days, before too long, I'm going to make some friends. And then after I make some friends, I'm going to be like, hey, you know what? Let's go get dinner together. Let's go hang out. I'm, that's just kind of my personality. Amanda, we were, on this, we were on this vacation. We were getting ready to leave. And I was like, baby, did you have a good time? It's so nice. We'd made friends, on, and we, we went to dinner with everybody, and she's like, you know what? It, it was really nice, but I really wish we could have spent more time together. I was like, what do you mean we could? You, we were together all day, every day. What do you mean more time together? No, what she was saying is for her, quality time is, is one-on-one. It's one-on-one. If somebody else is there, that's taking away from the quality time, Okay? Connection is viewed differently. Connection is viewed. That's a personality difference. That's not a problem to solve. It's a tension to manage. This also comes from like our families of origin, the family we grew up in. Think about conflict. Some of you grew up in a, a home where mom and dad, like they, they had it out, okay? They had it out with each other right in front of you, and you saw the verbal bars coming out, and, and you, you were just, w- like, watching the conflict go down. Some of you had parents that would go in their bedroom to fight, and you never saw it. You weren't around it. So, so now if you're this person where parents fought openly and conflict was, was, was just a flag that we waved in our house, and you're this person over here that doesn't do conflict because you never saw it, if you're this person and you unleash on that person, is it going to go well? No, it's not. It's not. Families navigate family differently, right? So what, what does family mean? What are the relationships that matter? Is it mom or dad? Or is it, is it extended? It's like grandparents and great-grandparents and great-aunts and great-aunts. Every family navigates family differently. There's tension that comes because this relationship seems important, but that wasn't important in mine. Even something as simple as like, what does it look like to honor someone? You know, some of us grew up in, in families where we gave a lot of respect. And some of us grew up in families where we just kind of poke fun at everybody. But if you're that family that poked fun at everybody and your spouse is someone who came from a family that had a high level of respect. You can't poke fun without it poking something in their heart. As I kind of read some of the, the studies and listened to some of the Christian psychologists that dealt with this, if 70% of the conflict we have, we're going to keep circling back around to it over and over and over again, how we fight matters as much as what we're fighting for. How we fight matters as much as what we're fighting for. And I think that most of us in the room today would agree 
I can do conflict a little bit better. I can do con- I don't think there's anyone in here that's going to go, you know what? If we grade and I get an A plus in conflict. <laughs> All right. And so what I want to do, I want to go back to Ephesians 4. I want to look at the passage that we looked at as we kind of got into the series. We focused on this each week in some different aspects. And I want you to see that embedded in this simple passage, two verses in Ephesians, it shows us how to deal with conflict. So let's go there. Ephesians 4, 31, 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Think about that. I'm going to read it again. And I want you to try to peer through the language and see what the Holy Spirit's kind of given us as fight rules today, okay? Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, just kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. It's important to recognize those words. Just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Just as God, through Christ. The way to navigate conflict has already been shown to every person in this room in the way that God through Jesus Christ, handled the conflict that he had with you. You may be saying, well, what did God have against me? I mean, all of us were born sinners. As sinners, we were rebels against the kingdom of God. Because of that, There was something in our heart that was waging war against what God would want for you and want for this world. And it's in the way that Jesus treated you that we see the rules for understanding how to fight. See, the gospel of Jesus is your way through conflict. The gospel of Jesus is your way through conflict. And it's hard because we don't think about this this way. But that's exactly what the Apostle Paul in that passage is pointing us to. Understand that your way through conflict is going to look an awful lot like the gospel itself. And if it doesn't reflect the gospel, it's probably not a healthy way to navigate conflict. So I'm going to give you just four observations about the gospel that I believe make excellent rules for the way that we fight with each other. The first one is so complicated. But I believe that if we can untangle our heart around this, it will change the way 
that we enter into conflict. It's this, work from the assumption that you are wrong. Work from the assumption that you are wrong. Now, I know already, if you're really listening to me at this point, you're like, that's not, I'm, I don't even know if I can go any further with this. This is why we fight. I fight because I think I'm right. This is why. This is why I feel like I'm right. This is why we have conflict. But think about that for a moment, please. I think I'm right. I think I'm right. I can remember visiting my mom and dad. If you know my mom and dad, they don't have a problem arguing at all, okay? I mean, at all. I grew up in a home where conflict was normal and healthy, all right? They don't, they don't have, I mean, they'll let it loose on each other, and it, and it's sometimes it'll last a few minutes, sometimes it'll last a few weeks. I mean, it's just, who, who knows, right? All depends on what mood's floating through the house that day. But I was visiting, I was over, and I was, I think my dad had cooked me some breakfast, so I was sitting at their bar, and and, and he was in there talking to me. And they were in, like, you know, sometimes when you're married, you get in a conflict, and it's like, it's a fight. It doesn't just last a few, it, likes, it lasts a few days, right? You know, you keep kind of bickering back and forth about the same thing for a few days. And I was in there talking to my dad, and my mom would walk through the kitchen, and she'd yell something at my dad, you know, like, blah, blah, and then they'd walk out, you know. While she was walking through, and my dad would fire back at her, and my mom would walk through and say something back. And, and I started listening to what they were saying, and I noticed something. See, I didn't know what they were fighting about other than the words that they were saying to each other. And I noticed this. They were both right. They were both right. Both of their perspective. They, they wanted to win so bad. They wanted, they wanted to find They wanted the other person to find You know what? You're right. I'm wrong. But they were both right. They were both right. But they were both wrong. They were both wrong, not because of what they were saying, but because of how they were handling it. See, I think that sometimes we allow ourselves to think things of ourselves that we shouldn't. The... the Perception of our rightness is addressed all throughout Scripture. It, it is not a small issue. It is a huge issue in Scripture. The term is righteousness. Righteousness means the quality or state of being right. And here's the unequivocal answer from Scripture. You are not right. You're not. I'm not. As a matter of fact, it is so plain that our best attempt at being right is a huge failure before God. Isaiah 64 verse 6 puts it this way. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. I'm going to be a little gross for a moment because I need you to understand how explicit scripture is being right here. When Isaiah says that our righteousness is like filthy rags before the holiness of God, 
The term that he uses to me that's translated filthy rags is menstrual cloth. That's how gross our best attempt at being right is before God. You are not right. I am not right. And how many times have we wrecked a day, an evening, a date, a vacation, a friendship, a relationship, simply because we are bent on being right? Work from a place that assumes you're wrong. Think about this. Would the gospel matter anything to you? If you thought you were right, no, it wouldn't. Our beginning point with the gospel of Jesus is we assume we are wrong. Start, start with the assumption that you're wrong. Number two, receive feedback openly. And share criticism lovingly. And that's hard right there. That's hard. It's hard to receive feedback openly. It's hard to let somebody speak into your life and tell you, man, this is where you're blowing it. But we have to learn how to do it. Think about what, what gets in the way of us being able to receive feedback openly. It's just pride, isn't it? It's just pride. Pride that on one end sometimes tells us we could never do it, and on, on the other end, pride that says you always get it right. That's pride speaking. It's an overinflated ego. And I think that sometimes this is so important because we live from a place of performance, not a place of acceptance. And when we live from a place of performance, when someone offers insight as to something you could do better, all of a sudden it trips us up because we think that our value has now been diminished. Instead of living from a place of acceptance that says, you know what? They're not criticizing me because they're degrading my value. They're sharing something with me that's feedback that is going to allow me to elevate my life. Share truth in love, right? There's that, that tension between truth and love that has to play out in our relationships. Truth without love is just mean. Love without truth is meaningless. That's a tension that we have to learn to navigate. Just because it's true doesn't mean you can say it. And it doesn't mean you should say it. We need to receive feedback openly, but we need to learn to share feedback, to share criticism lovingly. Can you say it in love? It's a guiding question for that. Can you say it in love? If you can't, don't say it at all. See, it's all about really understanding the role of kindness. When we look at the gospel, a lot of times we, we have felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We have felt that, that we've failed God. But we miss kind of the, the, 
10,000 foot, the, the Google Earth view of what God's been doing in our lives. Romans 2, 4 points us to that where it says, do you not see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient that God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? I mean, I love, I learned this verse in the King James. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. It's the kindness of the Lord. Why do we think, why do we think, everybody listen, why do we think that we can win something in a relationship by being mean? You might be able to manipulate something by being mean, but you don't win a dang thing. The gospel shows us that if you want real, authentic change, it is going to be motivated by kindness. So number three, respond and repent quickly. Respond and repent quickly quickly. If you want to learn to navigate conflict in a healthy way, you want a really good rule, respond and repent quickly. How many of you know that there's something you need to say I'm sorry for, but you've been holding on to it for weeks, months, maybe even years? And God said, I want you to tell him. I don't really want to do that today, God. It's going to be really uncomfortable. Why don't you hear me? The way that we interact with obedience is a metric for us to understand how spiritually mature we are. The distance between God's command and your response is a simple metric to understand your spiritual maturity. If God speaks and you obey, you're on your way to becoming more and more mature. But if there's stuff you've heard God say and you keep saying, wait, I'm not going to do that, God. I'm not going to do it. I can't do it. I can't do that. Who do you think I am, God? Like he doesn't know you, right? The distance between God's command and your response is a simple metric to understand your spiritual maturity. So respond and repent quickly. And then number four, freely give and receive grace. Freely give and receive grace. We, we, we live in a world where sin has made a mess of things. It's also made a mess. Everybody pay attention to this. It's made a mess of people. People are messy. Because people are messy, every relationship involves somebody. It involves a messy person. And relationships are going to be messy. And here's what I've noticed about every thriving relationship. Every thriving relationship navigates forgiveness well. Navigates forgiveness well. Because it is so important to realize that people are not going to meet your standards. Shoot, you don't even meet your own standards. Why is it so easy for us to give grace to ourselves, to forgive ourselves, but we hold people to standards that we can't even achieve on our own? Just as God in Christ forgave you. It is so important 
for you to hear this. Grace is the currency of a relationship that allows it to last. You have to learn to give grace. And something happens in a relationship when you have to give grace. You know, grace is, it's a, it's a free gift, right? No, nobody earns it. That's why it's called grace. But grace is only free when you receive it. It's only free when you receive it. When we look at our relationship with God, it was free grace that allowed us to become saved and have a relationship with Jesus. It was free. We could never earn it or pay for it. But when you have to give grace to somebody that hurt you, it will cost you deeply. And I want you to pay attention to what I'm about to say. And in that moment, you will get a little insight into the love that God has for you. Where you, not just partially or in a kind of in a sideways word to him, but you completely offended him. And he was willing, not just to give you, but to absorb all the punishment that should have been ours. So that what? Today, in this moment, he could offer you unlimited grace to cover all of our mistakes and failures. So that our relationship with God would never be based on how right we are, but based on how right Jesus was. And it's in that grace that we find freedom to be ourselves, to not have to be perfect, but to receive a love that we could never earn. But it's in that grace that you find freedom in the relationships that you share with others. Grace is never free when you're given it. But when we give grace, we get to peek inside the love that God has for us. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.